This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. We live at an amazing time in history as Christians. It's a unique time in, in the Father's time clock. Suppose we're, we're nearing the end of the age. If you look at the state of the world today, you look at a lot of the prophecies that's been fulfilled. But we're in the age of grace as believers tonight. We're blessed because of Christ and because of his work on the cross. We're adopted into his family. We're entered into an incredible relationship with an amazing God. It's a unique kind of relationship. There's a secret, a secret to our bond with the Lord tonight. This secret, it's something that gives us strength. It's something that gives us security. It's something that gives us unity with God and with each other. Adam and Eve knew of this secret. Noah understood it. Abraham experienced this secret to relationship with God. Moses was intimately familiar with it. And King David was thankful for it. And Jesus Christ extends it to all of mankind. What is it? It's the means that Almighty God uses to establish relationship with man. And it's that of covenant. And my message to you tonight is that God is a God of covenant. I'm going to read to you the introduction of chapter 7 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he has been pleased to express by way of covenant. So where did it all begin? Well, right at the beginning of time, and in fact, before creation and before time began, the Father and the Son and the Spirit were in a form of covenant. They were in an agreement, at least. Theologians call this the covenant of redemption. Because God had a plan right from before time. He had a plan to make a people of his own and to bring redemption to those people. God is a God of relationship right from the outset. Before he even creates man, he's a God of relationship. We have a father, we have a son, and we have a spirit that are all equal. Turn with me to Genesis 1 and 1. Let's go right to the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and void and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son 
who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, already there we've got the Holy Spirit, and we've got the Son, and we've got the Father. And in John chapter 10, verse 30, it simply says, uh, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. Wayne Grudem, the theologian, says this, to refer to the agreement among the members of the Trinity as a covenant reminds us that it was something voluntarily undertaken by God, not something that he had to enter into by virtue of his own nature. You see, God wanted a relationship with us, and he offers this covenant to us, and, he, and he's offered this covenant to a number, number of people, and we're going to have a look at that tonight. Take a look at this. The Father agreed to give the Son a people whom he would redeem for his own possession. The Father was in agreement with the Son to be, for the Son to be his representative. The Father agreed to prepare a body for the Son to dwell in as a man. The Father agreed to accept Jesus as the representative of his people whom he had redeemed. The Father was in agreement to give Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth. The Father was in agreement to give authority to pour out the Holy Spirit in power to apply redemption to his people. What about the Son? Well, the Son agreed to come into the world and live as a man under the Mosaic law. The Son agreed that he would be perfectly obedient to all the commands of the Father. The Son agreed that he would be obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. The Son agreed that he would gather for himself a people in order that none whom the Father had given him would be lost. And what about the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit agreed to do the will of the Father and fill and empower Christ to carry out his ministry on earth. The Holy Spirit agreed to apply the benefits of Christ's redemptive work to his people after Christ returned to heaven. So here we have the covenant of redemption. See, God in his very nature is a God of relationship. And he extends his invitation to mankind. He extends it to Adam and Eve. He extends this invitation of relationship to Noah and his family, even the animals, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his descendants, to Israel and to King David. And today he offers it to, to us, to all of mankind, in fact, to all those that will put faith in Christ. So where did God's relationship with man begin? How did it develop over the centuries? And how did God find a way to offer a personal relationship to each and every person who accepts his invitation? Well, of course, we've established already he did it through covenants. Let's look at the word covenant. First of all, we've got to think of, I want to talk about Greek. I want to talk about diatheke, the word diatheke, which is the Greek word for covenant. It's used in the Old Testament. It's actually used in the the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, referring to the Old Testament. So in the Septuagint, the translators used this word diatheke, and then this word diatheke was used onwards in the New Testament writers as well. So what is this word diatheke? Well, its root meaning is to set something out in order. Remember, we're talking about covenant here when we talk about diatheke set something out in order with certain terms and conditions. So this is, this is the intention with when we talk about covenant in the Bible. Now, the translators could have used, or even the writers of the New Testament as well, could have used the word sunseek. But in sunseek, it's more like a contract. It's more like a business agreement or a legal agreement that we'd be familiar with today, where each parties are equal. But of course, God, I mean, 
he's not going to be equal. He's diathic. He's going to set a covenant. He's going to cut a covenant with mankind. He sets the terms and conditions, and we fulfill certain obligations. So I think it was good that diathic is, is the right word because it, it shows that one party is much superior to the other, and, and they are the ones that lay out the terms and conditions, and that's exactly what God did with man throughout history. J.I. Packer says this about covenants. Covenants in Scripture are solemn agreements negotiated or unilaterally imposed that bind the parties to each other in permanent defined relationships with specific promises, claims, and obligations on both sides. When God makes a covenant with his creatures, he alone establishes its terms. We'll see shortly when we look further into this that there's two kinds of covenants. There's conditional covenants where God makes a promise, and then in exchange, he asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And then there's unconditional covenants, where God makes promises and promises to fulfill them. End of story. Just to reiterate and, and go over this again, what is God's intention here with covenant? His plan is to establish relationship, not just with a few, but with as many people in the world as he can. That's why I said at the start, we live in such an amazing time in history. Because Christ is well on his way to establishing relationship with many. Jeremiah 31, 33 says this. This is the promise I will make to Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my teachings inside them. I will write those teachings on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's God's intention with covenant. 2 Corinthians 6.16, what union can there be between God and God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Turn with me to Revelation 7. verse 9, chapter 7, verse 9. We've been at the start in Genesis, and we're just going to peek at the end here. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And notice in verse 9 there it says, A great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. God will do it. He will establish relationship with many. And if you skip on to chapter 21... Verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. 
Tonight we serve the God of covenant. We're going to be skipping around a little bit tonight in the scriptures. Just go back to Genesis 2. Because right at the start, God reaches out to the first man that he ever made. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And he establishes some form of relationship with them. And he gives a command, of course, to Adam that we're familiar with, so we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But if you look in, in Genesis 2.16, God says to Adam in the Garden of Eden, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God's laying out here the terms and the conditions, really, of his relationship with man right at the outset. It's not strictly a covenant. Scripture doesn't call it a covenant. It's a kind of a covenant of sorts. But of course, Adam and Eve broke this command, and they faced the consequences of it, which was separation from God's presence and eventual death. You know, if they had obeyed, they would have experienced life, life abundantly, eternal life. That would have been the blessing of that relationship. They would have lived forever in the garden in God's presence. But God still wants relationship. He's not going to give up right at the start here. In fact, amazingly, and I love this, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15... We see what's actually the first messianic prophecy in Scripture. In verse 15, God's talking to the, the serpent here. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we know that Satan did, in a way, bruise the heel of Christ, sending him to the cross, thinking, I've got him. But we know, of course, that when Christ rose again victorious, that in fact, Christ Jesus bruised the head of the serpent. So amazing promise right here at the start, the start of the scriptures here, the start of time, promise of the Savior. Now, we're going to look for a while now tonight at four Old Testament covenants. And again, we're not going to go into great detail with these because it would take a number of weeks to study these individually. And that's not my intention tonight. It's not a Bible study and it's not an in-depth study, but it is just an overview really of this God that we serve, this God of covenant. And just, you can put up on the screen there, Peter, Noah. So, we next see God reaching out to mankind when he, when he makes covenant with Noah. So the flood comes, the boat's been built, God's closed the door, the animals are in. Rains come down, the heavens come, the, the water comes from beneath. And then, of course, the, the rains cease and God says, okay, it's time to to open the, the ark and to, to go out onto the, the land. And Noah makes an altar and he sacrifices to God. And God's pleased with this. 
it goes up like a, like a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And God decides, I'm going to make a covenant with this, with this man, in fact, with the whole earth. And he, he chooses to covenant with Noah that I will sustain this earth, and I will never send a worldwide flood. This was an unconditional covenant. It wouldn't matter what man would do. Of course, again, man grew exceedingly evil in the world, as we know we're in it today. We know all about it. But God hasn't broken his promise. He hasn't sent another worldwide flood. And he hasn't ceased to sustain the earth. Let's just turn to Genesis 8.22, because I think it might be Genesis 9, a bit I want to read, because it's just so good. I don't want to skip it tonight. No, it is. It is it's Genesis 8.22. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma when the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. This first covenant in the Old Testament is a covenant of survival. God's initial intention before he builds a relationship with men at a deeper level is to simply make sure the earth survives. Because if the earth was to be destroyed, he couldn't make covenant again with anyone. He couldn't have a people of his own. So this is a covenant of survival. He did this because he wanted to have a family. And we would soon see that God would make another covenant. God makes a covenant now with Abraham in Genesis 17. God selects Abraham and makes a covenant with him. This, this covenant is, is again, it's, it's an unconditional covenant. It's a covenant of selection. God has covenanted in, in the sense of survival. Now he's covenanting to select somebody. He selects Abraham. He promises Abraham a big family and a land of their own and prosperity. And he knows that Abraham's going to trust God and he's going to raise up his family to do what is right and just, although he's not perfect. But God trusts him and, and selects him and promises him a large family, a land of his own, and prosperity. The plan of God here really is to bring his blessing to all the families of the world through Abraham. And then there's Israel. Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this time God makes a covenant with the whole tribe. So he selected Abraham and he passed that covenant on to Isaac and Jacob. And now this family has grown into the tribe of Israel. And he's creating a covenant here to set an example. This is a covenant of setting example. We've looked at survival and selection. Now God's setting an example to the rest of the world. He's going to use Israel to say, if you obey these laws, you will live perfectly and you will live with my presence and my blessing. And this I will showcase to the world. But of course, we know what happened. We know that they couldn't keep the laws and neither could we. So, you're familiar enough with the setting. Moses on Mount Sinai gives the Ten Commandments, comes down with the tablets of stone. Again, we don't have time tonight to go into all the detail of this. This is a conditional covenant. God 
God sets something for them to obey. He gives them this set of laws, these Ten Commandments. In fact, I believe there were hundreds of laws that were given, but we know that the main ten is the Ten Commandments. And, and again, this, just, to, just to highlight this, this particular covenant that God made with Israel, we know it, it's, it as the Old Covenant. And that, that'll have more significance in a couple of minutes. It's the Old Covenant. What was his promise? To bless them, set them as an example to the rest of the world. And actually through this covenant, God married Israel. You see, God's taking this further. He, he, he allowed the earth to survive. He said he would sustain it. He selects Abraham. Now he's marrying a people. This is the God of covenant that we serve, a God that is into family. He's into relationship. And he wanted to extend that to everyone who would believe in him, and we'll get to that. But God would ultimately, uh, pardon me, they entered into this covenant, but ultimately they did not keep the covenant. God would not ultimately reject Israel or cease to love her in this situation. God's ultimate purpose was to establish a new covenant with Israel that would be eternal, and once again, God would be a husband to Israel. And then we come in 2 Samuel to King David. This is the fourth of the Old Testament covenants. The tribe of Israel has become a great nation at this point, ruled by King David. And, and God asks David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws, doing what is right and just. God gives David, King David here an unconditional promise. He says, one day one of your sons will come and extend my kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. Amazing promise that he gives to King David. And he gives him a conditional promise. He says, he gives him a national promise. He says, I'll give you successors conditional upon your obedience and the obedience of Israel to keep my law. But Israel breaks the covenant and many of the kings do not live obediently to Jehovah. They worship other gods and eventually they lose the land. Only eight of the kings, in fact, were true to Jehovah and faithful to God. There were 42 kings. There was Saul, of course, the first king. And there was David and, and Solomon. And, and as David had said this morning, Pastor David had said this morning, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. So we've got the northern kingdom of Israel, which has is 10 tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which is the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And each of those, each of those kingdoms, the northern and the southern, had 19 kings, and one queen ruled over Judah. But of all of those, all of the kings of Israel, by the way, in the northern kingdom were bad, but only eight of the kings in the southern of, uh, region of Judah, uh, kingdom of Judah, were good. That's not good news, really. How will God be able to fulfill his promise to King David about a successor on the throne? What will God do with Israel's failure to keep covenant, to keep the laws? How will God be able to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the father of many nations? 
Israel has been conquered by the Assyrians. Judah conquered by the Babylonians. No more Israel at this time. Well, he would ultimately fulfill these covenant promises through his son, Jesus. And if you just want to put up there, you know, I'm talking about the Messianic Covenant, the New Covenant. Turn with me to Galatians 3. Verse 7. See, God will fulfill his promise to Abraham, after all. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Jeremiah gives a prophecy as well. I'll just read it to you. 31. 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. I will, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I, looked, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. A new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. And then in 1948, Israel was established again as an independent nation. It's part fulfillment, really, of, of God's promise. And one day Christ will come to return to rule as Israel's king in fulfillment of his covenant promise. Look at Zephaniah 3, 14. We'll not have time to turn, so I'll just read it to you. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. And this new covenant, Luke speaks of this in, in Luke 22 and 20. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And of course, we're very familiar with that. We hear that most weeks, Jesus talking about the new covenant, the new covenant in his blood. So God would establish a covenant with Christ, Christ Jesus. He would send Jesus into the world to live as a perfect sinless example. He would die as our sacrifice for our failure, really to obey him. He would rise again in victory over sin and death, providing a way through a covenant, a new covenant that would supersede the old, making it possible for all people to enter into a personal relationship with God. What a God of covenant. I mean, what an amazing plan of redemption that God had. Look at this briefly tonight throughout the ages. I mean, I've just swept through Noah, Abraham, Israel, King David, deliberately tonight because we don't have time to go into it all. But it's absolutely amazing. The God of covenant. Hebrews 8 and 6. 
Now, however, Jesus has received a much more excellent ministry, just as the covenant he mediates is better and is founded on better promises. This is a better covenant than the old covenant that was given to Moses for Israel. This is a covenant where the laws will be written on our hearts and we will have the want now to walk in obedience with our God. It's amazing. 1918, the Ford Model T, Ford Motor Company brought out this, um, this Model T, which was the, the bee's knees of the day, I guess. It had wheels, an engine, doors, seats, steering wheel. And 100 years later, let's see what Ford brings out. You might laugh at that, I don't know. I, I actually prefer the old one. Uh, but anyway, it would be really cool. But, you know, they've made amazing advancements in 100 years, um, if you look at the technology. But you've still got wheels there. You've still got lights at the front. You've still got an engine. You've still got doors. You've got seats and a steering wheel. You've got the same fundamental components. Uh, but it's, it's superseded the old. The old's no longer in production. It's no longer driven. Not to say the old's bad. It's not to say anything like that, but it's been superseded, and so, is, so it is with the new covenant. It's superseded the old covenant by a far better covenant. Here's some new covenant promises. Atonement for sin. Remember all, you know, in, in the covenants that God made with man, he often, in all cases, in fact, gave them a promise of some sort. We've looked at survival, selection, setting an example, succession, King David. Now we're looking at a covenant of salvation. He's revealed God to us. It's another promise. He's promised to pour out his spirit on all his people that are in this new covenant with power. He has promised, as I said a minute ago, to write his laws on our hearts. He's promised that it is eternal and that our fellowship with God will last forever. He shall be our God and we shall be his people. He's found a way. He's found a way to have a people of his own. What are the conditions? To believe. To put faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot enter it through obedience. Christ was obedient for us. He met the conditions for us to enter into the blessings of this covenant. Obedience to God would be a sure sign of those that have entered into this covenant. Faith without works is dead. James 2.26, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So obedience is absolutely to be the fruit of, of faith in Christ. But it's not our obedience that, that gets us that, that, that puts us into that covenant. Christ has put us into that covenant to those that believe, to those that put faith in him. What an amazing covenant. We're not going to have time tonight for, for too much more of this. I'm just going to just briefly go over some bullet points here. There's power in this new covenant, power for you and I today. 
boldness to approach boldness to approach Hebrews 4.16 let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God there we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most we're holy before him and, we're, and, we're, and the righteousness of God is imputed upon us and that gives us boldness again to approach him 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God and we have boldness to approach because as he is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4, 17. By this is love perfected with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. An amazing covenant. So boldness to approach him. Freedom to truly live. We have forgiveness. We have cleansing. Ezekiel 36 talks about a new spirit and a new heart, a heart of flesh that God would put within us in this new covenant. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. It's amazing to have this heart that God, this work that God has done on the inside of us. We have freedom to truly live in this new covenant. Friendship with God. And one more thing, power to act. And this is primarily what I want to leave you with tonight. Power to act. The power of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the most amazing things about this new covenant. The very Spirit of God lives within us. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The, uh, speaking in other tongues. Healing. Miracles, signs, and wonders. We're carriers of the Holy Spirit. We have prophecy. We have words of knowledge. We have spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit. Power to act. What an amazing covenant. You see, God loves you more than you know, more than you can imagine. Even before time began, they had a plan. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had a plan, a plan of redemption. He always wanted relationship with us. And he was willing to sacrifice his son to make an eternal covenant with us. His desire was to bless and prosper us as he promised in covenant to Abraham. And let, I, I pray that this revelation of, of, of the God of covenant would give you security in your relationship with him. That you would know his grace. That it gives you the power to obey and his spirit gives you the power to witness, to heal, cast out demons, and even raise the dead. Amen. All because of covenant. Covenant. We live at an incredible time in history. An amazing time in God's time clock. We're nearing the end of the age. Christ is returning to set up his millennial kingdom here on earth. What an amazing plan of God. And what an amazing God that we get to walk in personal relationship with. Amen? Let's pray. Praise you, Jesus. Just let your words sink in tonight, Lord. Not my words, but your words. Whatever's of value, let it sink in tonight to our hearts, to our spirits. Empower us this week. Empower us to witness, to walk in your spirit, to walk in obedience. We're in covenant with you, Lord. 
we're in an unbreakable, secure, unified covenant with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're in covenant one with another. We have you, Holy Spirit. We have you, Father. We have you, Jesus. And we have each other. We can get through this week. We can get through the next and the next and the next and the next. We can do this because we're in covenant. We're in covenant. And we thank you, Jesus, for this covenant. We thank you for your master plan, your plan of redemption. We thank you for blessing and prosperity over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.